Hey, if you've got your handout with you this morning, there's an insert inside it that uh, we often, almost every week, use because it gives you a chance to see the scripture and not uh, and have it to take home and to look at as well. Love that opportunity. And today, we're going to spend time focusing in on one of the last in this eight-episode series called The Chosen. We're going to look today at the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Learn some things about Jesus and be inspired. We've got a clip toward the end of the message today, a lengthy clip, but a beautiful, heart-rendering, emotional uh, focus of Jesus leading this woman to have everlasting life. You know, Jesus loved to cast this big net. We've been talking about that. And he cast the net to the down and outers, the Mary Magdalene's and those who were uh, not well equipped in their society and their culture. And he cast the net to the up and outers, the Nicodemuses, the um, Matthews, the folks that had tons and tons of resources but still needed to have the kingdom of God and eternal life. And as Jesus casts that broad, broad net, uh, one of the individuals that is impressed, he kind of goes back and forth, up and down. He chooses one on one end and chooses another on the other. So we're going from this week, Nicodemus, who was probably one of the most famous and most important individuals in their culture at their time, who was to be at the very, very peak of earning potential, And now today we're looking at a woman at the other end of the spectrum. And the neat part about Jesus is everyone's invited. All are to be included. The net doesn't leave anybody out. The net is so broadly cast that everyone is invited into the kingdom. And in fact, he goes to a place specifically to reach this woman of Samaria. This is the contrast between Nick at night and today. Everyone's thirsty, like the woman at the well, the, the Samaritan woman. The um, focus I want to give to you, though, isn't just that he reached this woman, but how he reached. I want to dig in a little deeper today in the ways in which Jesus, the method in which Jesus used to reach this Samaritan woman with the true love of God. I want to look at him as a model and as an example for us in how we can lead people to Christ. In fact, at the end of the message today, I want you to make a commitment to pray about leading someone to Jesus like Jesus led this woman to him this year. Let's dig in and... uh, Spend some time with John chapter 4. This all comes, almost all of it comes from John chapter 4. And I want to start at verse 3 today. There's a little bit of uh, lead up before that. But it says, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So he's in this travel mode. Now he had to go through Samaria. We'll come back to that and talk about that a little bit more. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Here's the, uh, here's the map of that area at the time. And I want to point out a couple of things. Jesus was here in Jerusalem and he was headed up to Galilee. But right here in the middle, you'll see this section kind of marked off as Samaria. It was a hostile environment to Jews. So they would often branch off right here at Ephraim. They would go across the Jordan River about at Jericho. They would head up along the river and cut back across the Jordan River and go this way. So you see they they missed the entire section 
of Samaria. Now, if you, if you didn't have the hostilities, if there weren't problems with that, you could actually cut straight across. That was the, the way the easiest route would go. But everybody that was Jewish went around, went around. I mean, think about it for a minute. These people so hated each other. They were so at odds with each other. There was so much hostility. They would not even travel in each other's territory, in each other's area. The reason there was such animosity, the Assyrians had taken over parts of Israel. And when they did, this is 700 BC, when they did, they left, uh, they, they, they intermarried with the people that were there. They left behind the residue of idolatry and um, pagan religion. So it was a corrupted, to a large degree, area politically, socially, and especially religiously. They looked at them, this is my as half-breeds, as compromised, as unfaithful. The Jews looked at the Samaritans that way, and the Samaritans likewise returned the hate. You know how that happens in our cultures sometimes? Um, they returned hate for hate, turned the other cheek, and... Um, what we see here is Jesus saying he had to go through Samaria, which he didn't have to go through Samaria. He normally would go around Samaria. So you've got to ask yourself the question when it comes to that verse, why does it say Jesus had to go through Samaria? Well, to me, it's obvious. What happens in Samaria is the reason Jesus had to go through Samaria. <laughs> He reaches out and touches this person's life. He reaches out and touches this woman's life so deeply that you have to conclude the reason Jesus had to go through Samaria was to reach the Samaritan, was to reach this woman with the love of God. He violated, in many ways, the norm to reach. He was willing to overcome every barrier that society and culture and the mores of that day would place upon him so that he could touch a person's life. And eventually, she reached entire populations of Samaritans. She won her whole town to the love and grace of God, to the love of, of, of Jesus. And every person needs to see the way Jesus overcomes Barriers. He was willing to cross every barrier to, to reach people. And I want to ask you today, are you willing, are you willing to overcome the barriers that our culture places in front of us winning people to Christ? There may be barriers in your life today of insecurity. There may be barriers of, and fear Oh, there's our whole culture that's kind of against 89% of Washington state has no church relationship. And they're going to look at those who do have a church relationship as weird. You don't want to be thought of as weird, right? Are you willing to overcome the barriers that society places in your, in your path to reach people? See, Jesus, <laughs> he comes to the well. What was the well back then? The watering hole, the place where everybody had to go. <laughs> Are you willing to go to the places where everybody has to go in order to connect with people? Or are you secluding and excluding yourself from the flow of population, from the flow of people? Jesus went to the well. But you know why? He went to the place where things were in common. What was in common? Thirst. Everybody gets thirsty. And since everybody gets thirsty, what a great place to go, to go to the well, because you're going to run into a variety of people because everybody gets thirsty. What if we targeted, what if we had a broad view and said, we want everyone, we want that broad net to flow to everyone, this place that is in common. 
You see, the educated and the uneducated need water, right? The kings and the shepherds need water. The the sheep and the cattle need water. Jesus came to that spot because that was something that united them. Oh, brothers and sisters, what if we have a chance to focus on things that unite the entire population? Our humanity. Everyone gets thirsty. What is it that people are thirsty for today? Notice that Jesus sat down. You know, he kind of parked himself there. He kind of took enough time. He didn't just graze through. Now, we have this fear sometimes in our culture. If we hang out too much with the world, we're going to become worldly. Jesus didn't have that fear, and we ought not to either. The Holy Spirit can protect us and can cause us. How are we going to become the salt of the earth unless we interact with it. How are we going to be the light of the world if we're hiding our light under a peck measure, Jesus asked. He says, no, when you light a light, you put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all, to all, to all who are in the house. And oh, that would be the challenge for us. Find out those areas, find out those arenas where everyone is thirsty and sit down, park yourself there. It doesn't mean we don't want to spend time with our brothers and sisters, but folks, when we get together as brothers and sisters, we're equipping ourselves for where the real life takes place. The real life takes place around the well. God's calling us to the community, not just to cluster and cloister and be together. That doesn't mean we ignore our gatherings. No, but we gather with a purpose, not to check off the list. Well, I did my duty today. I worshiped. No, I'm being equipped. I'm being built up. I'm being encouraged because the real war, the real battle, the real need is in the community. How do we do at that? This has forced me to uh, join a service club 30 years ago. We call it the Rotary Club. Hang out with business guys one day a week for lunch. It's a discipline. I, I got to pay dues. I got to pay for this privilege. You know, why do you do that? For this very reason. I want to sit down with those who are not part of the church. Sit down with those who don't yet know Jesus. And watch Jesus give opportunity to connect. Same with me. I mean, I, I mean pastors are the worst ones sometimes at being cloistered and clustered and, and, and holed up with the body of Christ. I mean, there can be whole weeks that go by where I don't lay eyes on another, uh, on a person that's not a Christian or, or get close to them. We've got to get out of the family and into the community. Jesus let the disciples go off and get some bread while he took some time to talk so I got to ask you, I, I said this last uh, couple weeks ago when we were talking about Andrew. Who do you know and who do you spend time with regularly who's not yet in love with Jesus? If you go, yeah, nobody, challenge, open up, put it on your list, pray together, God can do it if you'll just trust him with it. No, 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 this is, he didn't just sit down. He asked for a drink. Did you catch that? <laughs> he, he said, will you give me a drink? Now, this is the son of God here. What's he doing asking for a drink? Couldn't he just, isn't he the one who made that well? I mean, isn't he the one who called the, the, the surface of, of the waters to create land? I mean, isn't this the Jesus who created Jacob, whose well this is? Think about it for a minute. The Bible says he's the one who created the whole hydro, hydraulic uh, system, you know? Rain, showers, it all comes from him. And yet he's saying, um, would you give, why, why does he do that? I think it seems obvious. Participation, engagement, 
you know, wanting to draw her with a common need. Because Jesus Christ at this point is just as human as you and I. He's thirsty. Everybody gets thirsty. I wonder if you guys could repeat that after me. Everybody gets thirsty. One more time. Everybody gets thirsty. So what the key is and what Jesus was so good at was identifying in human terms, what's the commonality? What's the uniting force? What can we see together? Jesus comes to the well, the place of commonality. He sits down and he asks for a drink. Would you give me some water? What if we follow just that example? Find and identify those places of commonality, park ourselves there, and wait. I think he's setting a trap for this woman in a positive way. He's setting a trap for this woman. He knows this person is going to come by, and he's going to ask that she would give him a drink. He sits there until she gives him a drink. Well, let me, let me move into some other arenas here. Jot this down. Don't argue. <laughs> now, now, that sounds so, so uh, elementary, doesn't it? Don't argue with people. So often on social media and a variety of ways, I see people arguing, trying to make their point and losing the person. They might win the argument, but they lose the war. They lose the person. They lose the audience. Jesus was so good at, in a way, dodging the argument, but winning the person. It's not that he was afraid to address the issues. He he never shied away from that. But he guided the conversation in a non-argumentative way. Isn't that? You see, the enemy wants you to argue. The enemy wants to divert attention to personality and emotion and all kinds of stuff, you know, even reason. Don't do it. Don't get sucked into the enemy's trap. Remember when Jesus was in the desert and boom, 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 he gets tempted by the evil one? Jesus doesn't stand up and start arguing with the evil one. You know what he says? It is written. He declares the word of God and the argument is over. Don't engage in argumentative behavior. Just know and rest in and state in gentle ways, not like Jesus did with the enemy, but with people, the argument is the word of God, the truth that is the word of God. Let that stand as it is written. It is written. He was the son of God, and he shows us that pattern a very common barrier is our point of friction. And one of them, race. Race or gender. Can, can that be any more appropriate and, and applicable to our society? Is, is there anything going on in our culture about race and gender? Well, let's just go on to the next thing, right? Jesus parks here. You know, he, he, he gets this comment from this woman. In fact, let's look at it. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a, what? Samaritan woman. What in the world are you doing asking me for a drink? Don't you know Jews do not associate with Samaritans? I mentioned earlier the hostility that was between them. You know, that's why I love that Jesus keeps telling stories and doing miracles in ways that highlight the Samaritans. We call him the good Samaritan. You know the story, right? It was to answer the question, who's my neighbor? And and, and the the man gets beaten and left for dead. And the Levite and the uh, priest go by on the other side and ignore him. And who comes along to pay for, his, um, pay for his lodging, to put him back together, to minister to him, but the good 
Samaritan. Jesus is about obliterating these distinctions and racial barriers. There is no such thing in God's viewpoint as racial barriers that would keep us from one another. Don't let Satan bring that to the forefront and bring that as a divisional point. God did not create racial barriers for us to be squabbling about. Just the opposite. He calls us to connect with one another. He calls us to talk to the soul and heart of people, which is colorless and colorblind. He loves every single person, regardless of race, race, nationality, or ethnic origin. He does not care. He loves you no matter what, and he wants us to do the same. Oh, that the church of Jesus Christ would obliterate those, those, those distinctions. It was Martin Luther King Jr. who said the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday morning is the most divided moment in our culture. You got the black churches meeting with the black folks and you got the Hispanic church. And some of that has to do with language, maybe. But tons of it has to do with racial. And oh, praise God, there's been a difference, but not enough. Not enough. He is about dispelling the differences because race is a man-made barrier, not a God-made barrier. Our society and our culture right now is struggling struggling, struggling with how do we do it and how do we do it right? Even how do we make up for past inequities without making racial focuses now? This week, do we let the farmers with African-American descent get a different payout than than those who are not from African-American descent? So it's almost a racially questioned ploy. Do we Treat people differently based on race. Now, our Constitution would lead to the opposite of that, wouldn't it? All men are created equal, and they are endowed by certain, with certain inalienable rights, right? Yeah. Interesting part of that. All men are created. <laughs> Have you ever thought about evolution being... Uh, Non-constitutional. <laughs> I, I, I probably shouldn't go there, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. But part of it, I think we have bought into evolutionary theories, and we've, we've in some ways bought into parts of that that have led one race to think they were higher than another and better than another, when biblically and constitutionally, it's the opposite. We are created equal Our souls, our spirits, our hearts are designed, regardless of what the exterior is, the same. Well, in fact, here's here's the uh, word the Apostle Paul uses, Galatians uh, 3.28. If you don't have this one down, I'd encourage you to memorize this for our culture today. And especially when it comes to the body of Christ, that's where he's speaking the most. This is where we ought to be the least racially focused of anywhere on the planet. Not the most racially focused. What's he say? There is therefore neither Jew nor Gentile. There is therefore neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ. Here's the categories. Jew or Gentile. Slave or free, that's an economic There are not to be any barriers, any uh, distinctions, for you are all what? One in Christ. One in Christ. Jesus illustrates that instead of the attempt right now to focus on race. You can get in trouble if you just say all lives matter. You know, you can get in trouble for that. Yeah, but isn't that what God says? All lives matter. Every person of any distinction is one, is to be one to Christ with his love and with his grace. Don't argue about race and don't argue about gender. Do I even have time today to go into the gender? <laughs> Leave it alone, Pastor Bruce. Leave it alone. 
No. Satan wants to use gender and is doing a good job to divide both the body of Christ and the world. Yeah. Who are you, a Jewish man, speaking to me, a Samaritan woman? Because Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans and men don't have anything to do with women. I mean, that's implied in their culture too. Okay? And what does Jesus do? Boom! He blows it up. He says, I am not going to go by that. I'm going to speak to a woman when it's not the thing to do. I'm going to bring the word of salvation to a woman that's culturally improper for me to do. Now, not only is she a woman, we find out from his prophetic word over her, she's an immoral woman. That would give him even more pause, but he doesn't accept it. Instead, he jumps in with both feet. So neither race nor gender could stop him. Let's deal with this one. Her second issue is more of a rationality. I call it reason. So you got race and you got reason. <laughs> Here's what she says. Sir, <laughs> you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. That's very logical, right? Uh, this doesn't make sense. Intellectually, this is off base. You're here with nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water that he's been talking about? So often people use reason as their excuse. But everything Jesus did was for a reason. Everything Jesus did had a purpose behind it. His going to that well, his going to that region, his going to that well, and this uh, thirst trap that he's setting for this woman to ask this question. So she gets theoretical. She gets rational about it. Uh, and... You know, people use different things to see reason behind. Sometimes it's around God's existence. They get a barrier off on, well, what about the dinosaurs? You, you know, you're talking to someone about creation. Well, where does this evolutionary part fit or adaptation? How does that fit in? And they'll try to go down a reason road. Sometimes you know enough and you want to talk about that, but most cases... It's a diversion. In most cases, it's a barrier to overcome. So just sidestep it temporarily. Just say this sometimes. I don't know about all of that, but I do know this. And sometimes you can get right to what God did in your life, what God did in your heart. Remember the blind man? And they brought him before, I think Ryan read this last week. They brought him before uh, the, the, the um, judges and they were questioning him. And they were trying to get him to be trapped about who Jesus was. <laughs> and here's what he says. He says, I don't know about any of that legal jargon. I don't know anything about that law stuff. He said, this I know. I once was blind and now I see. Now I see. Leave it at that. And he walks out. You know? And we can do the same. Don't get so caught up conceptually or rationally or legally in the details, declare the truth. I once was blind, but now I see, and leave it at that. Now, Jesus couldn't say, I was a sinner and I got saved from sin. He, he had never sinned. So he's in a little different category, but he's doing the same thing. He's not going to address this idea of having nothing to draw from. Because here's what's, here's what's going on. He's speaking on a spiritual level. He's speaking on a spiritual plane and she's still trying to think in human terms, in natural terms, in fleshly terms. And Jesus is trying to bring them onto the same page, onto the same note. And so um, that's the reason one. Let me shift to another one. Uh-oh, religion. Now, when she says, you're a Jewish man and I'm a Samaritan woman. Some of that's racial. Some of that is religious. Jesus does not engage even in the religious part. 
There is a big difference, though, between religion and relationship. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. Relationship, we would say, is God's attempt to get to man. Totally different, opposites. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place to worship is down in Jerusalem. She just try, it seems like she's just trying to divert him, get him off track because he's kind of getting in her business a bit. You, know? you guys worship down there in Jerusalem. Remember I showed you that map? But we worship up here in Gerizim. Our mountain is different than your mountain. You're on Mount Moriah. We're on Mount Gerizim. Big difference. Um, and Jesus, instead of jumping into that, he doesn't let the religious man-made barrier stop him. He doesn't let it deter him or derail him from where he's going to talk about her sin, eternal life, and abundant life. So we're going to shift to that in a minute. Before we go past this, though, uh, this is Titus chapter 3, verse 9. And, I, and we've been through three things so far, race, reason, and religion. And it just seems like they pop out to me in this, because this is the Apostle Paul talking to, to, to Titus in his ministry. He says, Avoid foolish controversies. If you got your Bible out, circle that. Foolish, what? Yeah. Most controversies are foolish. And he's going to list the three reasons we just talked about. He's going to list the three things we just spent time with. And all of these are foolish. Say foolish controversies. Foolish controversies. Yeah. You can tell that it's foolish because it's a controversy in that way. Okay? Listen to what he says. Genealogies. What that reminded me of was race. Background. With the Jews, they were totally into genealogies, and Ancestor.com would really be proud of them. You know? They'd have a big business going because they wanted to prove their pedigree, prove their parentage, prove their genealogy, and how pure their blood was. Mm -hmm. So some of it's race, some of it's ethnic background, some of it is, and so he says, that's, genealogies are foolish. You know why? God has no grandchildren. <laughs> he deals with every person and every generation as it comes. You can't get to, God, to, to, to heaven on your grandparents' coattails. You've got to make a decision and a, and a focus of relationship yourself. Well, the question that the woman asked him was, you people and your fathers and your great, great, and our people and our father, those are pointless. What we're going to deal with right here with the woman at the well is her. Deal with you. Deal with me now today. Your parentage does not get you any favors. In fact, quite the sometimes your parentage can be the very barrier that keeps you from accepting Christ, loving Jesus. I mean, we need to be grateful. I have, I have parents that led me to the foot of the cross early in life, and I'm so grateful for that. At the same time, I had to come through the cross. Genealogies. Look at what's next. Arguments. What's the big point in here? Don't argue. Don't argue. Arguments are foolish controversies. Avoid them. <laughs> Dare I talk about conspiracy theories or leave it alone? Okay, all right. Arguments. Notice what it says last. Quarrels. So, so I'm thinking of the arguments as reason, and I'm thinking, of the, um, I'm thinking of the quarrels about the law as religion. So you've got all three of them, don't you? Race, reason, and religion. All popped out right there. And he says, avoid those as foolish controversies. Don't waste your time on those. 
Now, what's he say? And he gives you the reason. These are unprofitable and useless. Who wants you to be absorbed in foolish controversies? The evil one. Because it's useless and unprofitable, he'd be glad for you to spend all your time there. Don't do it. That's a temptation. Avoid. Avoid. In fact, that's the key word there, avoid. It is avoidable. You don't have to go there. You can avoid that useless and unprofitable. I said it earlier. It might make you feel good. Especially some people that are highly intelligent, highly reasoned. Well, we got into that argument. Well, how'd you do? Well, not very good. We won the battle, but we lost the war. We, we won the battle, but we lost the person. They wrote us off, but I, but I nailed them. I socked it to them. I hit them hard with reason. What? Foolish controversy? Did you really get anywhere? Instead, win the war, lose the battle. Walk away from the battle if you can win the war and win the person. How do you win the person? Not by reason, by love. By this will all men know that you are my disciples by your love for one another, by your love for them. I'm spending way too long on this, aren't I? <clears throat> Have, I mentioned this last time with uh, Andrew. Have some well-placed questions. Have some well-placed questions that you can ask somebody. Instead of giving them your answer, draw it out of them with a couple of well-placed questions that you've thought out about in advance or you have already on the tip of your tongue. Yeah. Here we go. Instead of arguing... Just talk, just share, just open up. I mean, that's the picture of Jesus. He's just talking to this woman about her life. Well, what are you talking? <laughs> I guess I want to say it this way. You can talk to anyone at any time about anything, okay? And you need to have that kind of confidence. Not that you're afraid to engage. I mean, I have that kind of confidence. Why? I mean, I can talk to anyone at any time about anything. Why is that? Because I know the secret. You want to know the secret? The secret is get them to talk about themselves. You know, that's their favorite subject, even if they don't think it is. A well-placed question or two about their person. Well, what are their hobbies? What do they like to do? Where do they like to go? Tell me about your family. Where did you grow up? A couple of questions, and you're engaged for 15, 20, 30 minutes with a total stranger, right? So have that kind of confidence that you can go, because here's what Jesus did. <laughs> Jesus engages this woman with the question. It's an assumption. Can you give me a drink? Could I get a drink? Would you, I'm thirsty. Would you mind giving me a drink? Huh? And the conversation about the well, the conversation just keeps going from there. <clears throat> um, wanting to include this woman. And so when Jesus said, will you give me a drink? There's a good question. I mean, that's, it's so practical, so common, so uniting. Thirst. One of those things. Um, you can always bring up life. You can always bring up abundant life. Jesus spoke a lot about abundant life, didn't he? John 10.10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You know, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you What? living water. What's that begging? What's that question mark? What's that getting at? There's something else. There's more. There's more to life. Jesus said it in John 10, 10. I have come that you might have life and have it to the what? Full, fullness of life, abundant life. So when you're talking with people, help them identify 
the next need in their life, the next thing, what is it that has to be fulfilled for them? What do they need to focus their attention on? Appeal to the desire for more. Is deep down inside each person is this hunger for more. Every person wants peace. Every person wants joy. Every person wants a full and abundant life. So let that be the focus of your conversation. People won't take it as condemning. They won't take it as preachy if you just start wetting their appetite. Start asking questions about those things that are abundant and eternal. I mean, think about it for a minute. If you have been through, let's say, something very physically medical, um, you've been through the cure of cancer in your life, and you start telling somebody about how it happened, and they don't go, why are you preaching at me? It doesn't ever occur to them because you're telling them a place where you found help. It doesn't feel preachy. What if we approach spiritual things the same way? Not in a downward judgmental tone. Like what did Jesus say in John 3 to Nicodemus? For the Son of Man did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have, there we go, life. So just talk about life. Talk with them about where they're at in life. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. You know that place where Ecclesiastes says, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to reap, a time to plant. He goes, all this time. Right there at the end, it says, for God has placed eternity in the heart of a man that they would seek him. So every person, based on that scripture, has eternity, has a, what they call it, a God-shaped hole in their heart. And that's what you're pressing on when you're talking about abundant life. That's what you're looking for is, is to say, what are they missing out on in their life? Where is it that they'd like to have more? God-shaped vacuum. God places eternity in the hearts of man. In fact, that's the next deal here. Don't just talk about abundant life here and now. Try to begin the conversation heavenward because we're only going to be around a few more years. You know, 100 years at most. None of us are going to be here. Get them to ask the question, and then what? What do you want to do with your life? Well, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to, and then what? And then what? And then what? Uh, hadn't really thought about that. Well, let's think about that. You know, Jesus says, this water becomes in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Never thirst again. It will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal. Drive the conversation, not just to abundant life here and now. What are you going to live like the next 100 years? What are you going to be like? And where are you going to be after that? It drives the conversation in the direction of eternal life. You know, this uh, pastor friend of mine, he uh, had a hard time when he first became a Christian um, sharing Christ with people and not being too militant. So um, at the end of his conversations, if somebody didn't, weren't ready yet to pray the prayer, pray the prayer of salvation, he'd say, well, then repeat after me, I choose to go to hell. <laughs> and for some reason, he had, you know, resistance to that. I choose to go to hell. Now, he actually was, was, it was probably good in some ways because it was black or white, you know, but it was not very, uh, very winsome. He didn't get a lot of fruit for that. He later learned that even though that's true, that some people take time. Sometimes you're sowing seeds. Sometimes you're watering those seeds. Sometimes somebody else has planted and watered and you're reaping those seeds. It varies. We don't all harvest all the time, you know? But in this case, you talk about, fertilize, spend time with and water eternal life. It's fun to talk. For me, 
I jump right to John 14 and just talk about Jesus saying, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you will always be. I mean, that's my definition of heaven. That's my definition of eternal life, where Christ is always at. Do you want to be there? Is that your desire? Is that your heart? We don't want to go to hell. We want to spend eternity with the Father, with the Son. I'm rapidly going through these, but so you got abundant life, you've got eternal life. This is the tough one. You need to talk to them about need, about failure, about sin. What's going to keep them away from a relationship with God? Sin. Sin. If not identified, if not repented from, if not changed, it could be the very thing that would keep a person locked up, captured, in captivity. I have come to bring freedom. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus brought not just the well, not just the water. He brought a word. He brought a word to this woman. What does he say? He tells her, in her opinion, everything she's ever done. Here it is. Go call your husband and come back. Now, that could have been just a good tactic to engage the rest of the family, but he's using it, at least in part, to get the conversation into relational terms. Most of our sin is done in a, the horizontal way. It affects other people, not just our relationship with God. Go get your husband. What? I have no husband. You ever know people that just kind of leave some of the truth out? She's a single woman. She has no husband. There's a lot more to discover there, isn't there? What's Jesus say? You are right when you say you have no husband. Truth, truth, but the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. What's that say? Whoa, this penetrated so deep. She says, what you said is quite true. The woman senses that he is a prophet. Whoa, this guy's digging into my life. I've had five husbands, marriages that didn't work, being thrown out and broken. In that culture and society, women did not divorce men. Men divorced women. Could you imagine being rejected over and over and over and over again and then be used by a man who wouldn't even marry her. I mean, we're talking about major abuse, major brokenness in relationship terms. That's probably why she's coming at the middle of the day instead of the morning when most women came to gather water or later in the evening when it was cool, when there was a social connection. She's meeting the Lord at noon Maybe because of these very reasons. In their culture, in their society, a small town of Sychar, she would have been so rejected, so put out, so judged upon. This need in her life. So Jesus doesn't say this to berate her, to judge her, to put her down, but to bring out the truth, to bring out the facts to bring out that sin was her need. It's okay to talk about sin. Don't shy away from talking about sin. Our culture might tell us that's not a good thing to talk about, but the biblical example is it's okay, but it's how you do it. If you do it talking down to someone, I mentioned earlier in a preachy kind of way from a place of judgmentalism, it's not good. It's not gonna work. Come at it like Jesus, I think, does from a place of compassion, a place of heart, a place of care. Use yourself in the process. Sometimes I just say that. I'm no better than anybody. I'm no better than you. Now, Jesus had to have a hard time saying that. <laughs> Sinless that he was. He couldn't say, I'm a sinner too. But identify your need as you identify their sin. 
Identify your sin as you identify their sin. Remember that God will use that. Maybe it's um, bitterness. I had to deal with bitterness in my life. I was so miserable. Identify with them in that. I was a lonely person. I was stuck in my insecurity. All kinds of things we can identify. If you can't identify with some of these, let me know. I was filled with fear, stressed out and had anxiety running my life. I was an angry person and I took it out on people. I was rejected over and That would be this woman would say, rejected over and over and over again. Could Jesus identify with being rejected? Yeah. So even if it's not the sin, it's the predecessor to sin. The, the, the emotional things that lead us to the addictions and sin that we have, identify with her or with them in that. One last one here, we talk about relationship. Relationship. Actually, there's two. There's relationship with God, and we're going to talk about Jesus for a second. Um, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming and now is when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem, Mount Moriah. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. Worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers, what? The Father seeks. Folks, if we just could put our attention <laughs> on the Father's seeking a relationship with us, let that be the driving force as we share Jesus with people. God's looking for you. In Jesus' case, he could say, the reason I sat here at this well in the middle of the day in Samaria, in Samaritan land, was so that I could reach you. God is reaching out to you. Let your conversation with people be one that says, the Father is seeking. The Father is loving. The Father is casting <coughs> that broad net. Remember, Jesus asked the question, will you give me a drink? He was trying to pull her in to that. He could pour out worship and affection uh, on this woman. Remember the other times Jesus was thirsty? I, I'm thinking while he's carrying the cross, they thought he was thirsty and they tried to press him with some wine vinegar and he, he, he refused it. His focus was on going to the, the cross. And then remember on the cross, John 19, he's on the cross and he says, I thirst, I thirst. And they put a sponge with this vinegar solution up to his, his lips. I mean, think about it for a minute. Here's this savior of the world, the son of God, asking this woman to connect and he's not even yet gone to the cross, but he's on his way. It's gonna open up that arena because the father is seeking worshipers. That's how we have access to the heavenly father is through the son who was thirsty on the cross. Death did not trap Jesus. Jesus trapped death. Yeah. Focus on Christ. Focus on the Lord. Focus on Jesus. He ends up saying, I, the one speaking to you, am he. You're looking for the Messiah. We know when this Messiah comes, he's gonna show us, lead us into all truth. I, who am speaking to you, am he. Let's watch this section real quick. And hit the lights Give me a drink. 
hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask her to drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come out new, in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I, I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to throw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah, exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit, and the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me, I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him.
because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promise? I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> You forgot your um. Fancy, you told me everything I ever did. <laughs> um, Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? Wait a minute. You told her, mm -hmm. and she can tell others. What food? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You, you told her who you are? Mm -hmm. So does that mean? It means we're going to stay here a couple of days. It's been a long time of sowing, but the fields are ripe for harvest. And so it's time. Let's go. Yes! <laughs> stand together. I asked you earlier if you would uh, consider making a prayer commitment today to ask God to show you somebody that you could lead to him this year in the next few months between now and summer. Would you use this uh, season, <clears throat> use this uh, end of the pandemic where seeds have been underground and uh, they've been germinating. Uh, people have been isolated. People have been yearning for more. Would you make a commitment today to be used by God for somebody's life, for some woman at the well, for somebody that needs to hear about the love of Jesus, that needs the net pulled around them and brought into the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, I pray for that, for the body of Christ here. I pray that you would use us like never before, allow models and examples like this of this woman that you brought and that changed the entire region. She shared with the entire town of Sychar and she brought disciples to you that said, I no longer believe because of the woman. I believe because I've heard it from my own, from my own self. 
Father, we pray that you would use the body of Christ here in a fashion that would extend and expand and grow your kingdom like never before. Would you take what would be a, 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 a terrible, gloomy over, overview of this time and season and turn it around, change it out, and cause your kingdom to grow because we trust you. Show us through this example and this model how we can be vessels for your use today. We love you, Lord. We honor you, and we pray for your leadership in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.